You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello there, and welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. Now, as you may have noticed, if you're particularly witty, today we're going to try something just a little bit different. You see, this week sees us sharing a very auspicious day. It's talk like a pirate day, mate. And me, being a gentleman I am, intend to teach you scurvy lot exactly what a real pirate would have talked like. We're going to talk about the language that pirates would have used, some of the accents they would have used, and the words they would have used. So if you're ready to hear a little bit of real pirate talk, then come on aboard. Because this is episode number 19, Talk Like a Pirate. If you're new to the show, and this might be your first episode, you probably expected me to start a show off with something more along the lines of, Ahoy, me mateys! If you're willing, come aboard. Shiver me timbers or walk the plank. Yarrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
You see, the first written account of somebody saying Shiva Me Tim was on a page doesn't come until at least 50 or 60 years after the golden age of piracy. Now, of course, pirates may have been saying this, and they weren't exactly the most literate of folks, so they might not have written it down, but it seems like it would have seeped in somewhere before then. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, a book that tells us when words first appeared on a written page, Shivamy Timbers didn't appear until the year 1835. However, there has been a recorded use of it sometime before then, in the year 1795, which is still somewhere in the realm of 70 years after the Golden Age of Piracy ended. But of course, those two earlier written sources aren't why we think of Shivamy Timbers as a pirate phrase. That's because of one man, a writer named Robert Louis Stevenson, and his character, Long John Silver. Now in Treasure Island, Long John Silver said Shiver Me Timbers a total of seven times. It became an iconic phrase, and it was passed down through the character of Long John Silver into all sorts of different media, until, of course, it culminated in what we all think of when we think of Long John Silver, that is, Muppet Treasure Island. Wait, no, I guess there was one production at Treasure Island that was a little bit more important than Muppet Treasure Island, but not nearly as good. That was a 1950 Walt Disney Pictures production of Treasure Island. In that film, a man named Robert Newton played Long John Silver and did so in a way that would shape the character for years to come. Really, the character hasn't been able to escape that until the most recent portrayal of Long John Silver in the television program Black Sails. But the Robert Newton Long John Silver, well, most of what we think of when we think of how a pirate talks come from his portrayal. You see, he said most of the typical pirate things in a very typically pirate way, but he was a man that came up with a lot of that. And what's most important to his portrayal of pirate language was the accent he decided to use. It's significantly different from the accent I'm using right now. You see, Robert Newton chose to use the British West Country accent. Very similar to how Francis Drake would have sounded in the 1500s, but in a somewhat later version. If you don't know what a West Country accent sounds like, well, I guarantee you've heard one before. Perhaps the most famous line ever spoken in a West Country accent was a man named Rubius Hagrid saying, You're a wizard, Harry. You see, that is a good example of a West Country accent. Here's a man named John Mills from his show on the BBC talking about the Cornish accent, which is a particular variant on that West Country accent, but a good example of it. It's very tempting to just throw a few random rural sounds together and do an exaggerated West Country accent. Actors call it mummerzet. It ain't real, mine, but it's what we all do if you want to sound like a farmer, a pirate, or aggregate like a very poor. Now, Newton's portrayal of Long John Silver might just be the most iconic performance of any pirate in history. However, in more recent years, there has been another famous franchise based around pirates that has a character that speaks in that West Country accent, played by a fantastic man named Jeffrey Rush. Now, Mr. Rush's performance is stellar to say the least. However, his West Country accent is spot on. 
Here's a good example of him and his pirate dialects. We were off the coast of Hispaniola when we came under attack. No provocation, nor warning, nor offer of parley. We were peppered with cannon fire. And then the sea beneath the pearl began to roil. The pearl was pitching and yarn violently. Every plank, every rail, every spar all at once began to creak. The rigging had come to life. Our own ship turned against us. Tangling the crew, wrapping around them like snakes. And wrapping around my leg. But my arms were free and my sword was stand. So that is Captain Barbosa. That's how he talked. That's also, probably, a lot like how Francis Drake talked, a lot like how Long John Silver talked, and a lot like how Rubius Haggard talked. Now, that's of course not how all pirates actually sounded for a number of various reasons. First and foremost, and this might be obvious, is that not all pirates were English. You had pirates who were French or Dutch. You had pirates who were even Spanish that raised the black and went raiding against their former countrymen, which seemed like fine blokes, if you ask me. You had pirates who were Muslim in the Mediterranean and Chinese pirates in the South China Sea. But when you're looking to talk like a pirate day, you're looking primarily at pirates from the British Isles in the Caribbean. Now, if we're looking at who these people were, the first thing we have to realize is that not all of these pirates were actually pirates, at least not full-time. In the time of Henry Morgan and the Buccaneers at Port Royal, you would have men who would join up with the pirate crew, or rather, more likely a privateer crew that would have some sort of letter of reprisal, that would be doing their pirating in the off-season. These men were usually farmers, sometimes hunters, sometimes fishermen, sometimes men who would be sailors on board merchant vessels most of the time, and usually they had some sort of debt they wanted to pay off, or perhaps they just wanted to put a little nest egg away. But they would go on a pirate voyage or two, which were very lucrative affairs, and make a little bit of money. You didn't usually want to be a pirate full-time if you could avoid it, because being a pirate was dangerous work and not terribly pleasant. There's a very good chance that taking a vessel, you might lose a limb, or lose an eye, or lose your life. It wasn't something that a man wanted to do. Now, in the later years, when we're talking about men like Blackbeard and Charles Vane, most of the men on board their crews weren't pirates full-time either. Most of those men had been impressed into service back in England, taken into a war in the New World, and then just kind of left there to rot. So those men didn't have any money, they didn't have any friends, and they didn't have any prospects, so they had to find a way to earn a little bit of each of those, and the best way they could do so was joining up with the pirate crew and making a little bit of cash. After that, they could do as they wished. They could buy a little plot of land, maybe open up a little shop. Most of them probably just wanted to buy passage back to England. So to try and pinpoint exactly how a pirate talked, at its very core, is kind of a fallacy, because what exactly is a pirate? Piracy is really, when it comes down to it, no more than a legal definition. Most of these men wouldn't have seen themselves as pirates. However, there were men who were full-time pirates. We're talking about Blackbeard, Calico Jack Rackham, Henry Morgan, Henry Avery, Steve Bonnet, and Benjamin Hornigold. These men were captains of pirate vessels who had worked their way up through the ranks and found that they had a taste for the work. Now, there were other people on board, certainly, the quartermasters, for example, who probably would have been full-time pirates, but we don't have a great record of all of these men. The men that we know were full-time pirates that we can discuss how they spoke were usually the captains. And they, the 
captains from British Isles would have been from all over the British Isles because those isles are, well, they're islands and they got all sorts of coastline. And that coastline breeds people who were sailors going to sea every day. Fishermen, merchants, and a lot of those people turned to piracy. Now, in that West Country region, many of them were turned into piracy because they had that Puritan leaning. And after the restoration of Charles II on the throne, they weren't exactly happy with the way things were going. But people from all over the Isles were turned into piracy. Not just from England, but from the other nations around. For example, Henry Morgan, the man we've been talking about most recently on the program, was from Wales. So he would have spoken with a Welsh accent. He grew up there. He didn't have a pirate accent. He had a Welsh accent. And he wasn't the only Welsh pirate out there. There were loads of them. Most notably, Robert Edwards and Black Bart Roberts. And then you had pirates from the other nations in British Isles. In Scotland, you had men like John Gow and William Kidd. A Scottish would have sounded a little something like this. All men with honour are kings. But not all kings have honour. You must never mistreat a woman or malign a man. Nor stand by and see another do so. Some people hate the English, I don't. They're just wankers. We, on the other hand, are colonised by wankers. Can't even find a decent culture to be colonised by. And then, over on the island to the east, Ireland, you had some very famous pirates, two of them who happened to be women. Anne Bonny and Grace O'Malley were both based from Ireland. Here's an example of that Irish accent spoken by two women. Now, this is from the trailer of a film called Irish Pub, which is a spectacular documentary you can find on Netflix right now. It's one of my favorites up there at the moment. And if you want to hear some beautiful Irish accents and see a snippet of what's really a dwindling piece of Ireland's heritage, I really recommend giving it a watch. Other pubs elsewhere, I suppose, they just don't go into conversation. But with an Irish pub, everybody, as soon as you come in, after a while, they'd ask where you're from, what you're doing, or whatever it is about you, you know, sort of thing. You know, you go to England for tea, you go to Ireland for, for the Irish pub. Isn't that what you do? I, I'm just making a quick comparison there. That's what I do. I go to England for tea. Then you had, ironically enough, a man named Edward England, who was a pirate out of Ireland. However, the vast majority of pirates from the British Isles were from England proper. And they came from all over England. Some other pirates from their West Country region would have been Black Sam Bellamy and even Ed Teach himself, Blackbeard. Now over in the East England, they got a much different accent. But you've got very famous men from there, such as Ed Teach's mentor, Benjamin Hornigold. You got pirates from the North of England. You got pirates from the colonies, such as Barbados, where Steve Bonnet was born. But a good number of your pirates come from the London region. Which brings us to the accent that I am most certainly butchering right now. This accent is an approximation, a bad imitation, really, of a lower middle class Londoner accent. It sounds a little bit modern, mostly because I'm really bad at it, but also it has its roots in an old language. Middle English is where it comes from originally. The reason we know this is because one of the men who was a major driving force in inventing modern English spoke that language. That's William Shakespeare. He had a very working class sensibility. And he likely had a very working class accent. And the men and women who were performing his plays certainly had that working class accent. Now you might picture something a little bit closer to this when talking about Shakespearean English. This is how many people across the world, especially in the United States, picture a British person sounding. That's because this is closer to what is sometimes called 
the Queen's English, or in former days the King's English. This is a much more refined form of pronunciation, and very clear and very succinct. It's very similar to how they speak on the BBC. This is, in fact, a relatively recent version of the English accent. It was cultivated for very real effect. In the British Empire, in different days, they had a number of different dialects that many of their people would have spoken. But to cultivate an air of aristocracy around the colonial rulers, they cultivated this accent, something that sounds much more like the lords, kings, and queens of England would have held. However, this is not Shakespeare's accent. Shakespeare's accent was an accent of the people, and as you might notice, the language of the people is significantly different. Now, it's difficult to know exactly what Shakespearean English would sound like because we don't have any recordings of original Shakespearean productions. However, there are a couple of men named Crystal. One of them, the elder, known as David Crystal, is a professor of linguistics at the University of Wales, at the Globe Theatre, which was rebuilt. In 1994, very near the original site, they attempt to do the most realistic productions of original Shakespeare they can. However, it wasn't until 10 years later, in 2004, that they began doing productions in that original pronunciation. That original pronunciation was worked out by that man, David Crystal. That man knows what he's talking about. He looked at all the evidence and all sources he could find and constructed the accent of a commoner living in London about the year 1600. Now it's a bit different from what you're hearing me do right now, so I'm going to give you an example from that man Crystal's son, Ben Crystal, who is an actor, a Shakespearean actor, and a man who is a master of the original pronunciation. Here he is doing that famous "to be or not to be" speech out of Hamlet. To be or not to be—that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Or to take arms against a sad troubles and by opposing, end them. To die, to slay no more, and by a slave to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation to vow it to be washed. To die, to slay, to slay her chance to dream. Aye, there's the rope. For in that slave of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. The people who perform in Shakespeare would have been performing in the accents of real Londoners. And London was the city in England. It was a melting pot of all sorts of different British nationalities, as well as people from all over England itself. So you had Irish and Scottish and Welsh. You had West Country, East Country. You had Northerners, and then you had that Southern accent, all blending together. Now, from London, a lot of these people from all over England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales were shipping out to the different colonies of England. Primarily, in this time, they would have been shipping out to the West Indies. However, a little bit later, they would have been shipped out to Australia by force. Now, you might notice some similarities between this Londoner accent and an Australian accent. You might notice hints of Scottish or Irish or Welsh. You might notice hints of that West Country. That is why I chose to use this accent, because this accent is really most likely what pirates who were raised in the Caribbean would have sounded like. What most Englishmen raised in the Caribbean would have sounded like. These men were from all over the British Isles, and they blended together, mixed in with a little bit of French, a little bit of Creole, and a little bit of Spanish, and then they would have created their own accent. That's what happens when dialects collide. People begin to mesh them and speak a new dialect altogether. 
and it would have been very similar to the accent in Australia and London. The accents in London, the West Indies, and Australia were all probably very similar because they had influences from all over England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. And that, in a lot of ways, is the language of a pirate. For another more modern example, if this is what people sounded like right about the year 1600 up until about the year 1700, we can assume that things changed a bit. However, there are communities here in the United States where people speak in a very strange vernacular. Some people in the United States, when they hear these accents, think that they might be from Ireland or Scotland, somewhere foreign. However, they are from the United States and live, in fact, in North Carolina right near where Blackbeard himself lost his head. They call themselves High Tiders because they were seafaring people, people who live on the coast of North Carolina right near the Outer Banks, and they've got a very particular accent. I'm going to play an example of it for you. I know my uncle used to always say it, picking on me all the time, you know, when I was young, and, you know, we'd be fishing, you know. He said, come on, let's get going. It's hoi toid on the sand soil. Last night at the waterfall, night moonshine, no fish. Where's both my uncle would? He said, get her going. What, what accent is that? A lot of people will look at me and say, what, are you, is that an Irish, English accent? And then the, somebody, the two or three of them together, and then he'll look at the other, other guy and say, yeah, I think it's more Irish, English than English, Irish. And now, next to some of that original pronunciation. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our sin. From ancient grudge, Brecht, and new mutiny, where civil blood lives, civil lands unclean. From forth the fatal lines of theirs two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take the life. Whose misadventured, piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. Do you see the similarities? The similarities between them, between the accent I'm doing and an Australian accent? That, my friends, is the accent of a pirate. Now, some of you might be saying, that's not at all what Jack Sparrow sounded like, which, well, of course it's not. Jack Sparrow was a creation blending Johnny Depp, Hunter S. Thompson, and a lot of Keith Richards in there. Which, to be fair, created a fantastic character in an iconic accent, but not a legitimate pirate accent. So what I'm telling you, folks, is that pirates sounded, yes, like Shakespearean actors from about the year 1600. Now, we've talked about accents, we've talked about shivering timbers, and we've talked about walking the plank. But let's talk about the most iconic pirate word of all time. Arr! Now, come the 19th, talk like a pirate day. If you're out at the pub with a couple of blokes sharing a pint, you want to close one eye, put your finger into a hook, and holler, yar at everybody that walks by, well, I say go for it, mate. Sounds like a good time. I might even join you. However... If you're doing that, you are not talking like a real pirate. Now, of course, a hook and the eye patch, that's accurate. So is when we're on a subject, the heavy drinking, and the hollering at birds. However, the word ar was never uttered by pirates. At least not like that. Now, that word was occasionally used by men from that west country region of England, where the pirate dialect so famously comes from. However, it wasn't used as an inflection. It was used much more similarly to how a Canadian might say, Hey, I'm Canadian, eh? Oh yeah, look at that, eh? It was a brief affirmation after a declarative statement. Know what I'm saying? Now, so much of what I've done here today is talk about things of famously pirate lingo that aren't in fact actually pirate. 
It's largely because that stuff was created by the popular media. However, when it comes to talk like a pirate day, there's no reason to ignore all those fun sayings. Those are the words that fill the mouths of the most famous pirates ever known. Now, those aren't men like Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard. Those are men like Captain Jack Sparrow and Long John Silver and Captain Hook. The popular culture surrounding pirates is part of what makes us love them so much. So there's no reason, just because it's not how an accurate mariner right about the end of the 1600s would have spoken, not to do it. Avast! All hands on deck, you swarthy dogs! Raise the topsails and man the guns! There's a Spanish ship ahoy! Who says we take it? <laughs> if I see one of you scurvy dogs with a dry blade when all this is done, I'll kill you myself! Oh yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, that felt good. That felt real good. So that's gonna do it for our discussion of pirate language. Hopefully, when you're being inundated with all sorts of people telling you all sorts of fun pirate lingo, this will be a little bit of a guiding light to teach you exactly how a real pirate would have sounded in a golden age of piracy. But however you want to do it, I want you to get out there and talk like a pirate all day. Whew. Alrighty. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Hopefully you had a good time listening to today's episode. I'm going to release... Another short episode specifically about the history of pirate cursing to our Patreon supporters, partly because I want to give them a little reward and partly because I don't want any delicate ears to come across it. I'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters. That's Carlos, the History of Westeros, who really, you guys are the best, and I've gotten so much support from your fans that I feel bad taking your money, but I still will. And Rebecca. Rebecca, I certainly hope that today's history of the pirate language really lives up to your standards. I'd also like to thank everybody who has donated through the website using our PayPal. You guys all really help keep the podcast afloat. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. If you're new to the show, they're a band that I really think you should check out. They have a lot of nautical and pirate theme music that's really spectacular. You can check them out over at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G.com.au. After you're done over there, why not go on over to our website at piratehistorypodcast.com, where we've got all sorts of supplemental information, source lists, maps, pictures, things like that. Or you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or SoundCloud. We've got all those sources up and running. We also really appreciate anybody out there that leaves a review on either iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or any of the other places that you listen to the show. That all really helps get the podcast noticed. However, most of all, thank you for listening. <laughs>